Welcome to Ophthalmology Morning Commute, the disease burden of age-related macular degeneration. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge powered by Kaplan and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Rush Group. In this first podcast, Dr. Arshad Kanani and Dr. Carl Rogillo discuss age-related macular degeneration. What is the disease burden facing these patients, and what are some of the current treatments, particularly for neovascular AMD? Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash AMD1. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Kanani is Managing Partner and Director of Clinical Research at Sierra Eye Associates and is also a Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. Dr. Rigillo is Chief of the Retinal Service at Will's Eye Hospital and a Professor of Ophthalmology at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College, Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Kanani will begin our discussion. Hi, I'm Arshad Kanani with uh, CRI Associates in Reno, Nevada, and it's a pleasure to have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Carl Ruggiello from Vilsai Hospital today with me. Hi, Carl. Hi, Arshad. Great to be here with you. Carl, is, uh, thanks for joining me for our first of our three-part podcast series on age-related macular degeneration. And, you know, you and I are busy uh, clinicians as well as clinical trialists, and we see a lot of patients with uh, age-related macular degeneration in our practice. Um, Just to start, can you uh, tell us a little bit about types of age-related macular degeneration and what uh, we see in our clinic and how we are treating these diseases? Sure. Um, AMD in general represents the most common condition we manage in our clinics as retina specialists. And it's basically divided into two forms, the dry or the wet. Um, Dry or non-neovascular, wet is the neovascular form of AMD. The majority of patients out there with AMD have the dry or earlier stage. And um, dry will often progress, at least to some degree. But early on, it usually doesn't affect vision. Patients may not even be aware of it. We'll see the characteristic hallmark features on an ophthalmic examination uh, with uh, drusen deposits in the macula. That tells us we're dealing with AMD, age-related macular degeneration. And at any point in the course of AMD, uh, that can convert to the wet form, the neovascular form, which causes rapid uh, vision loss and has a very poor visual prognosis if untreated. Uh, But now, and for at least now 16 years, we've had highly effective treatments for neovascular AMD with anti-VEGF agents. And uh, very recently, uh, we've also had the introduction of a treatment for the advanced dry form, which is called geographic atrophy. That's brand new. That's something that just happened. Uh, Still a lot of work to do to to help our patients with with the advanced dry because we can't improve vision. But what AMD, we've somewhat conquered that. Uh, There's still uh, room room for improvement for sure. Uh, Carl, thanks for that uh, great overview. So the next question is, how are these patients coming in your clinic? Who's referring them and what kind of problems they're complaining about? You know, I see a lot of patients uh, 
in my clinic that get referred to me actually have very advanced disease. And, 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 and now with introduction of imaging, uh, you know, many of the optometrists and general ophthalmologists are diagnosing some of the patients earlier, but I think most patients don't notice until the disease is very advanced. And then they end up having difficulty reading, they can't work, they have problems uh, taking care of themselves. So in your clinic at uh, Busy Vilsai Hospital, how are these patients coming in and what are their common symptoms? Well, as you said, these are patients that are typically referred in by a primary eye provider, and that's either a general ophthalmologist or optometrist. And uh, they're doing the routine examinations. These patients, by definition, are older. There are elderly patients. By definition, um, it's called age-related degeneration, and patients are typically 60, 65 years of age or older uh, when it first gets diagnosed. And it's often picked up on a routine examination, and patients may or may not have symptoms. Now, fortunately, a lot of those are early dry and therefore seen well and doing well. But as you mentioned, the disease can kind of sneak up on you um, because uh, being binocular, patients may not notice vision loss in one eye when there is dominance in the other eye. So if a patient's starting to have vision loss from, let's say, conversion from dry to wet AMD and is losing vision in the left eye, they may not notice it if their right eye is dominant, which is the way it is for most of the patient population. So if they're not getting routine eye care, if they're not seeing the primary eye provider on an annual basis, at least, um, they could be uh, quite advanced. They could turn wet and have advanced disease, just as you indicated. And unfortunately, um, it, our results with even these highly effective anti-VEGF agents are simply not as good. Um, every study points to early detection of wet AMD translates to better vision outcomes, no doubt about it. No, I think that's a really good point about early detection. And I think um, I think better education of the referring sources, as well as better education of patients that if you have any changes in your vision, you should uh, contact your eye care provider as soon as you can. So, so now they're in your clinic, Carl, and you're talking about treatment options. And essentially, for neovascular or wet age-related macular degeneration, this is a lifetime disease. You know, most of us treat them, we treat an extend protocol instead of as as needed. So, you know, we have clinical trials where we have great visual acuity gains that get maintained over time because these patients come into your clinic, they're very compliant, they get calls from your coordinator, they get transportation, and the burden is much less uh, for these patients. And then you look at the real world data. And when you look at their data, the visual acuity gains you see in clinical trials are are much better than what we see in real world. Rather, in real world, we actually have vision loss because of under-treatment. So what are your thoughts on things you do to keep your patients motivated to come for treatment? Because I know my patients, after they initially see the visual acuity improvement, they, they feel like the treatments are not helping them anymore. And you know I keep telling them it's for maintenance of their visual acuity. So this under treatment in real world and, and the burden of clinic visits for patients and caregivers, I think something that's a major issue and that's why as a field, we're looking for more durable agents. What are your thoughts on how you keep your patients motivated? You're absolutely right. We have excellent treatments. These anti-vascular endothelial growth factor drugs we've had since 2006 
We have bevacizumab, aranibizumab, aflibercept, and more recently introduced prolocizumab, and most recently introduced fericumab. Um, they all can control disease very well when administered uh, frequently. Now, the newest drugs, of course, their they're, they're greater duration of action allows for good control of disease with less frequent treatment, and that helps. So uh, as you indicated, with the way, the way this works is we always start with injections monthly. So for new onset wet AMD, patients present usually with some degree of decreased vision, uh, usually the induction phase, that is the monthly injections, two, three months, uh, usually gets most of the vision gains we're going to have. Uh, that's where we get our vision improvement up front during the so-called induction phase. And then we start to spread the treatments out because every patient's different in terms of how durable a given drug is. Some patients need injections every four, six, eight weeks, and some every eight, 10, 12 weeks. Um, and that's the range of durability of the drugs we have been using, especially these first-generation agents. Um, and so I tell the patients, look, it is a lifelong treatment. We can't stop. The disease will reactivate. Uh, wetness will come back, and you'll lose vision. And we have to keep on top of it, and we have to keep the macula dry. So the whole goal here is to get the macula dry during the induction phase with frequent injections, and then ideally back off or individualize and spread out the treatments uh, during the so-called maintenance phase, which uh, we aim to keep the macula dry and therefore maintain those vision gains. But the real world is such that these drugs have limited durability. And so if patients miss a visit, if they're in the hospital, for whatever the reason, there's a lot of reasons why patients can't get to see us in the office to get the drugs administered on a frequent enough basis. Uh, there'll be some vision loss. And as you said, virtually every world, real world study shows vision loss over time, over one, two, three years into the course of therapy. And you see the average number of treatments are not as high as what was able to be achieved in the clinical trials with motivated patients and good control of the, of the uh, treatment paradigm. Um, in the real world, it's just harder. Our patients are sicker. There's comorbidities. Um, there is issues. They, like you said, sometimes they think they're continuing, they'll continue to get vision gains when they don't. So we have to really um, provide ongoing education and support for these patients so that they understand why we have to get them in on a frequent and regular basis. Um, the good news is we have drugs that are now more durable, and so they don't have to come in as often. And that gives us some more latitude and is probably more forgiving. And we hope we can get better long-term vision outcomes as we go into this sort of second generation, longer, more durable, uh, uh, longer acting, more durable drugs. I think you made uh, great points, Carl. I think, uh, you know, the treatments have evolved over time, going from monthly to every eight weeks to every 12 weeks. And now, you know, up to 16-week durability we have seen with Frisimab. And, and obviously, you know, VEGF, a is a, is a great target to control, uh, you know, leakage and neovascularization, but adding that ANGE2 inhibition and having it in one molecule, a single injection, I think with Fresimab, uh, I think may, we may be able to address this treatment burden issue that is the real reason uh, for vision loss in, in the real world. And, and, you know, all of us now have Fresimab available because of FDA approval last year. And I think you know our clinical experience is unique in that sense that we're able to control disease in some of these patients who need frequent 
injections. And of course, you know, the, the level of evidence is evolving. So, you know, we talk about the patient. Of course, there's also family that that is involved closely uh, in this. And many of my patients don't have family and they have bilateral disease. So sometimes they have to come in twice to get both eyes treated because ideally you would like to treat them uh, same day, but, but, you know, if they're driving themselves, then they have to come twice. So I think something to keep in mind that there is this, you know, risk of having bilateral disease as, as you, as you go, you know, I think it's 10% per year risk is what I tell my patients for the fellow eye, because many of these patients ask me about their risk. So, so unfortunately, many of my patients require bilateral treatment. So, so in your patient population, Carl, how is this family and support system play a role in making sure that this burden of age-related macular degeneration can get better in that education of the family? So do you talk to the family members about what the patient needs or how do you keep them engaged so they can keep bringing their you know, spouse or their parents to these appointments, which can take two or three hours, at least in my clinic at times, which could be quite burdensome. Yeah, I mean, uh, friends and family support networks are very important, no doubt about it. Um, as you indicate, uh, if the patient's vision is not good in one or both eyes, it's going to be hard for them to get themselves to and from the office to get injections in one or both eyes. Um, if their vision's good and they're only getting injected in one eye, uh, like you said, sometimes they come alone and they do and they can drive themselves home very, very, very readily. Um, getting both eyes injected, well, it kind of depends. Some patients can seem to manage and see okay as they leave the office well enough to drive. Some don't or are, are not comfortable and they will have to come back, but they wouldn't have to come back if they have family there. There's no doubt about it. And I would say more often than not, they are coming with at least one other person to help them. Um, and that's usually with the driving. And But it's more than that. I think it's it's wonderful having another set of ears and someone else to understand uh, the process, the goals, the objectives. And uh, that definitely helps with uh, keeping on top of the condition and, and um, ensuring the highest degree of compliance. You know, to, to take a step back, you mentioned uh, another mechanism of action. I've been saying anti-VEGF medicines, and that's what we've been using, right? VEGF has uh, been a validated, uh, tremendous target, very effective. When we block it, we get excellent disease control. And um, uh, VEGF blockade really doesn't differ much among the drugs we've been using. Uh, but you mentioned the most recently FDA-approved drug, Farisimab, is unique in that it's not only just a VEGF blocker, such as uh, similar to everything we've used, but it also blocks angiopoietin 2, which is a, a new mechanism of action or a different one. Uh, and that probably is, at least in part, um, providing this extra durability. And that extra durability means, of course, less trips to the office, uh, less, less injections uh, on an annual basis. And that does make it easier for the patient and this network, this family support that's absolutely necessary. I think that's that's a really good point, Carl. Like if I tell a patient that you may need an injection every three to four months, they, they're they much more accept, accepting than when I tell them that you may need an injection every month. You know, I tell my patients that everybody has variable disease and the burden is different for each patient. But as we go into these 
next generation of agents like Farisimab, where we can control the disease better. I think in, in my experience, at least that patients who have to come every three to four months, they tend to miss less appointments than somebody that has to uh, come monthly. So I think um, as the field is evolving towards better durability uh, with, with newer agents, I think it's exciting that outcomes hopefully may, may change over time that we may be able to maintain vision better for our uh, patients. Uh, Carl, when you talk about burden of treatment, what about the injection-associated um, pain? You know, they they usually don't like the day of the injection. If they're working, they have to take a day off. And and does that really play a role uh, with the whole discussion about uh, you know treatment burden? Because there's also needle phobia, and and you know patients just don't like the betadine, and the eye is irritated. So how do you manage that in your practice? Yeah, well, the good news is that. These injections are generally very well tolerated, and because it's a very common condi condition, and many people are getting these injections, um, most older patients know patients getting injections, and they know they're um, generally again well tolerated. Uh, there's not much you need to do after you leave the office. However, as you indicate, I'd say it's about 10-15% of the time patients will have some ongoing irritation, even some pain, as you indicated. Uh, over the course of the day uh, of the injection, maybe even lingering into the next day. And a lot of it's related to uh, the PrEP, uh, you know, to minimize the risk of infection, which is uh, a risk of doing an intravitreal injection to administer these anti-VEGF drugs. Um, we have to uh, instill betadine drops, and that can be irritating to the cornea. And that's where people get that pain or discomfort afterwards. And sometimes it can be quite severe, uh, keeping the eye lubricated, uh, keeping the patient um, educated as to what's happening and why they're getting um, some of these problems. And I'll even modify the PrEP to minimize uh, these post-injection episodes of discomfort that will sometimes occur. And it's from the PEP, not the, not the medicine. The medicines themselves and the injection are really incredibly well-tolerated and very safe. Uh, but the betadine is a is a double-edged sword. We need it to keep the uh, rates of disastrous endophthalmitis infections as low as possible, and yet it can be quite irritating, even toxic to the cornea sometimes. So there's things we can do as as doctors to make the experiences as uh, good as possible to minimize these uh, post-injection problems. So I like to keep the eyes well lubricated, um, and if patients have problems with betadine, there are alternatives to that that can be uh, utilized. You know, I also want to mention uh, that we're very fortunate to have really uh, superb imaging that helps us to uh, finely fine tune the way we treat this disease with our drugs. And the nice thing about it is the images are are readily interpretable by our patients. They see what wet AMD looks like. They see what dry AMD looks like. They see what good responses look like. And it helps to keep the patient um, educated and um, engaged in what we're doing, you know, the the concept of keeping the macula dry once it's turned wet and how it's a lifelong treatment process, you know, they, they know it, they see it in their vision when the disease worsens, when they skip a treatment or something like that, and they'll see it on the scan, they'll see their disease worsening. Um, so that helps to reinforce the whole process that these medicines are helping and that they need to be administered on a regular basis uh, to keep the disease in check. 
No, those are great points. I think at the end of the day, I think patient education about the disease and and really about the whole injection experience and what to expect plays a key role in keeping these patients motivated. We know that uh, these patients have a chronic disease and you know that is affecting their lives. And, and the hope is that with proper education and counseling and using new drugs, we'll be able to keep the disease burden Low and of course, you know there's burden on the healthcare staff, and uh, you know our clinics are getting busier and busier. As you said, now we have a treatment for dry AMD, and you know we have more injections to do than we can handle. So I think having these new agents that are more durable will actually help us uh, being able to cater to all the patients that actually require our care. So to sum up this episode, Carl, uh, you know I think. The bottom line for me is that when I see a patient with neovascular age-related macular degeneration, I sit down with them and I set the expectations up front in terms of what the disease can do if it goes untreated and what I can do to help that patient. But I think it requires you know, commitment from the physician, but also the patient and patient's family so that we can address um, this burden that comes with AMD so that we can have better real world outcomes. And on top, if we have newer agents that like frisimab with dual mechanism of action and better durability than standard of care injections, I think that really helps uh, with compliance and hopefully long-term outcomes. Any any last thoughts uh, from you uh, before we sign off on this episode? Yeah, as you hit it, upfront um, education is super important and then reinforcing that over time. But Upfront, I tell patients right away, because when they hear the word treatment, they think cure. I said, this is not a cure. This is disease control. And to get the best long-term vision outcomes, and it is forever, it's forever treatment, indefinite treatment, uh, we have to stay on top of it. And that requires a commitment and uh, requires frequent visits and the scannings and the treatments. And we can't get behind. Once we get behind, if we if we have setbacks, we may not be able to recover from them. Um, so uh, once disease reactivates, uh, it's time sensitive. So we have to keep on top of it. And that's why the injections and in the office visits are so frequent. Thank you, Carl, for those uh, excellent uh, closing uh, thoughts. And I also want to thank the audience for listening to this episode. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash AMD1. You can find all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.